This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, the final AP Top 25 College Football Podcast of 2019. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. My guest this week is Andy Staples from The Athletic. Andy and I were in Arizona for the Fiesta Bowl between Ohio State and Clemson. We'll put a wrap on that game, talk some about officiating, the targeting rule, and I'll vent about conspiracy theories. We'll glance ahead to the title game, and then we'll bounce around a bit. Notre Dame and Florida both finished 11-2, and and something Dan Mullen said after the Orange Bowl got me thinking about the definition of success. Tua Tagovailoa, Alabama's injured quarterback, is still considering his future. What are the chances that he returns to the Crimson Tide for another season? Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Westwood One Podcast, Apple Podcast, just about anywhere you get your podcast. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me on the podcast today is Andy Staples from The Athletic. Hello, Andy. Uh, it was good seeing you in Arizona, though we didn't get to spend a whole lot of time. But you know what? We weren't really out there that long. No, you were out there longer than me because you were still there yesterday texting me about, hey, what's the taco place and what's your record for tacos here? So the place, for those who are listening, is Tacos Chiwas, which is – I think it began life as a Jack in a Box or, or that, that uh, ilk. Dairy Queen. Place. I believe it's a Dairy Queen, right? Because oh, you can Queen. see okay. the sign looks like an old Dairy Queen sign. It was a barbecue joint at one point because I know the previous owner left a smoker behind and they make their barbacoa in that smoker now. But um, it is a tremendous taco place. And as I told Ralph, my personal record is seven tacos and two gorditas. But I could do more if, if need be. So I went, yeah, I went there with my uh, with my wife and child on the way to the airport, as one does. Backstory: My wife is a vegetarian. My child is is a reformed vegetarian, or she's sort of coming out of vegetarianism. She, well, welcome back to the team. Yeah, you know what? She's still sort of finding her way with meat. Like she doesn't love meat in general, so she's still trying to figure out which one she likes. So I told her to get the barbacoa because that's beef, and I know she's definitely like beef. Beef is generally that's flavorful. Oh, see, and beef ta- is good. Tacos, chihuahuas. You got to get the tongue taco and the tripe taco. Okay, there was no way she was doing that. Like again, she is still new to the meat game here, so tongue and tripe was not the way she was going to go. However, what she ended up liking was the tacos chihuahuas, which is oh, which yeah. is a little beef and a little ham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. That. That place is a, a national treasure. It doesn't look like much from the outside, but no. it is tremendous. And again, my wife, the vegetarian, 
Less than impressed. Of course. <laughs> of course, because you're just eating tortilla and lettuce at that point, well, and what's the point? They have one that's like corn and sautéed squash, but it wasn't, again, it just it just wasn't really doing anything Did she get for any of the charred jalapenos to put on there? Um, she, she didn't, she probably could, you know, she's also, uh, she works in public health. So she's always skeptical of, at food that's just sort of lying out like that, like sort of buffet style food. <laughs> and like that, you're right. The grilled jalapeno or the grilled chilies are just, they're there. They're there for the taking and they're wonderful. But nonetheless, for somebody who it works in public health, they tend to be a little bit uh, skeptical of any food that's simply been lying around. See, I am so glad I am blissfully uninformed enough to not be afraid of the Golden Corral chocolate fountain. Yeah. <laughs> so another reason why I'm having Andy on today, first of all, Andy's great and he's my friend and he was available on short notice. And the other thing is like I – short notices that's going on my tombstone yes Andy was available on short notice <laughs> also I just took a red eye back so I'm gonna need somebody else to carry this thing and I know staples can carry a show Ralph you're not supposed to say the quiet part out loud <laughs> sorry I'm just let, let the listener infer this not, you're not supposed to tell them directly I am breaking the fourth wall right right <laughs> I'm just smashing the fourth wall right here so we have to clean up some things from the semifinals and really just the Ohio State Clemson semifinal the one that we were at because there was really not much to say about LSU other than goddamn <laughs> yeah, yeah they're good yeah <laughs> defense not so much yeah yeah that's uh, the, We've now evaluated the Peach Bowl entirely. All right. So, but the Fiesta Bowl obviously came out of it. Uh, the lingering questions out of that were, were really about officiating, which I hate because I think it really takes away from the game and the teams and puts way too much emphasis on uh, things that are, you know, not necessarily controllable. You wrote about the targeting penalty. Uh, I think we all agreed that it was the fumble that was overruled that was probably the more unsettling call. Uh, I want to get into the targeting thing a little bit because you have some solutions, and I'm not necessarily sure they're they're real solutions. Honestly, like I I think you have some good ideas, but I'm not necessarily sure that they're real solutions. But get into a little bit of what you think needs to be done with the targeting. Well, I mean, anybody who watched that game would look at that hit that that Sean Wade put on Trevor Lawrence, and they'd say he's not trying to hurt Trevor Lawrence. He's not trying to knock Trevor Lawrence out of the game. He's not trying to do permanent damage. He's trying to make a tackle against a, a moving target. And Sean Wade or any other player in that situation, I don't want because I don't want people to think this is like an Ohio State apology or anything like that. This drives me crazy when it happens in every game. That player who is a football player trying to make a play, who makes an honest mistake, and there's some helmet to helmet contact, and, and it was the crown of his helmet. So the the targeting call was 100% correct. They called it to the letter of the rule. He should have been called as the rule is written. My thing is you shouldn't throw a player out when it's the first defense, when it's like that. Now, if it's a situation where the player leaves his feet and you know rockets himself into the other player's head, yes, toss him. But there needs to be a way to let that... You know, let a mistake be a mistake and not take a very important player off the field. It doesn't, and it doesn't matter if it's an important player, not take a player off the field and not have to escort him out like he's a criminal. And that, that part bothers me too, the, the escorting them off the field part. But 
what I think they should do is unless it is one of those where you leave your feet and launch and that's, that's in the rule now. So officials are trained to spot that. If it is one where you don't leave your feet and launch and it's your first one of the season, then leave them in the game. It's a 15 yard penalty. Leave them in the game. They made a mistake. You punish them for that mistake. And in, in the case of this game, that 15-yard penalty was massive because it kept that drive alive. Now, if Sean Wade is still on the field, does Clemson score on that drive? I don't know. Remember, they got a pass interference penalty two plays later against his replacement. Mm-hmm. But let that player stay in the game. And then if, if it happens again with that player at any point in the season, then throw him out of the game. And then if he does it a third time, not only do you throw him out of the game – you then suspend him for two games after that. And then a fourth time, I say suspend him for six. I'd be fine if you suspend him for a whole season after that. I want the penalty be, to be draconian on the repeat offenders. Mm-hmm. But I want some leniency for ones who are just trying to make a play and not trying to hurt anybody. So the argument against that is, and it goes to, and you've heard this explanation, I'll just give it to the people who are listening, it draws back to face mask penalties, right? There was at mm-hmm. one point a five-yard face mask and a 15-yard face mask, and what they realized was officials being human beings would yeah. go, well, it wasn't that bad, I don't want to crush this team. Yeah, right, cause that's, and, that, and that's not necessarily not doing your job, but you, what you end up doing is sort of defaulting to the lesser penalty. Because yeah, but I'm not, I'm not advocating a targeting one and targeting two. I'm not asking officials to make that decision. I'm taking the intent part out of it. The, the launching, leaving the feet part, that is a... No, that's, that's a good concrete. point. You can see that that's on a video. Good point. That's, that, there's, not really, there's not really wiggle room there either. Right. So I'm not I'm not asking them to do because that, that's what the five yard, 15 yard face masks were was was he trying to just grab his face mask and yank it because that's 15 or was it incidental contact? And that's five. It's determining intent. Right. That's fair. don't make the officials determine intent in this era of, of conspiracy theories. That would be bad. Yeah. No. And that's a good point. Right. Because because people often. I've seen that idea. Joe Klatt was throwing that out there, the idea of intent to injure. Yeah, but you can't it's hard it's really hard to measure intent right. and to officiate intent. And what you end up doing is probably making the officials jobs even harder right. and giving Cause, them cause more things to de- try to determine. Yeah, that's what makes us mad is we look at it and we see Sean Wade clearly did not intend to hurt Trevor Lawrence. But we shouldn't put it on the officials to determine intent. It should just be Sean Wade made a mistake. We're gonna ki- we're gonna hit him for 15 yards here, and then if he does it again during the season, then we're gonna we're gonna toss him from the game. Yeah, you know they, the, you they could have the the cumulative penalties now sure. with the personal fouls. Sure, you could still say though that even the 15. I mean, the 15 yard penalty is really what swung the game though to a certain. The simple fact uh, that that turned I, I, into I a think 15. Sean Wade yard. not being on the field swung the game too. But no, that, listen, he's an NFL player. He's a guy who might be a first round draft pick, and they took him off the field. And you're right, they immediately picked on his replacement. So it, it's not insubstantial, insubstantial, unsubstantial that he, w- he was kicked out of the game. I also just feel like it, you're right. It was just I found that to be one of those deals where you almost wish. 
you didn't have to call it because one of the yes. things because what what Lawrence did too is he lowered himself like Lawrence right. braced for the hit and sort of crouched mm-hmm. a little and I know if Wade just lifts his head up a little bit bows exactly. his neck he probably yep. doesn't get it but nonetheless part of the reason why I think his head drops there is because he is literally trying to lower his right. his the, whole body. Yeah, it's it's two human beings with two very natural human reactions. Yeah, and, I think I think Wade's trying to lower his target. I think he's yeah. dropping himself to sort mm-hmm. of even though his head is dropping and that's not a good form, but right. in, in dropping his target to be more chest sort of chest level right. or midsection level, that's what makes his eyes yeah. drop. And, and everybody who's played football in the last fifty years has seen the "see what you hit" poster. Yeah, it's actually that that rule is is actually designed to protect the tackler. Yes, not the guy getting tackled, because if you do lead with the crown of your helmet, you you stand a better chance of breaking your neck. And so, no, he shouldn't have done that. But again, there was no ill intent there. And again, I don't think we should be judging intent. I just think there should be a mulligan mm-hmm. in for for specifically for situations like that where. And, and you can tell the difference. There, there was a play in the Peach Bowl where a guy left his feet and went straight at Clyde edwards Hilaire's head. That is a very different situation. And right. you can you can train officials because you're not you're not determining intent. You're saying, did you do this thing physically that we can see you doing on video? All right. So I'm angry about conspiracy theories. Oh, I've, I've, yeah. I've had enough of them in life in general, in all aspects of life. Well, and the, I would, the ones the ones the other night were especially stupid. Like, here's here's my personal favorite. OK. ESPN and the SEC, because it was SEC officials, ESPN and the SEC wanted to you know set up the game that they wanted for ratings. And I'm like, do you people <laughs> understand ratings at all? Do you know who delivers ratings? <laughs> Ohio State delivers ratings. If they were setting this up for ratings purposes, they w- every call would have gone against Clemson. Every single one. Yeah, I, I don't know how Clemson advancing to the national championship game in some way enhances the ACC network. That like, there's no yeah. way that could be explained well, rationally. The, the other me. the other conspiracy theory is the SEC was picking the opponent that was least likely to beat LSU. Which, hmm. To which I'd say. You, that's Ohio State people having an awfully high opinion of themselves because last I checked, Clemson beat the SEC team 44 to 16 in the national title game last year. Right. I don't think the SEC wants any more at Clemson. Yeah. It just, yeah, on so many levels, it just bothers. The other reason why those those things bother me when we focus so much on officiating, and I, I say this all the time, and like you know, if anybody follows me on Twitter, you know, like I spend like at least a quarter of every Saturday telling people I have no no time for your officiating complaints, no matter what yes. team you root for. I do not care about your officiating complaints because the fact of the matter is. The players and the coaches have far more influence over the game than the officials. Like, one play and that fumble, in my mind, that was a fumble. I think Justin Ross fumbled, and I think Ohio State, I hate to say got screwed, but I think that that call well, burned it, them. Here, here's what I, you need I think to that, because... I think that one call burned them, but, but let me yeah. throw one more thing out there. But the officials did not cause Ohio State to kick three red zone field goals. No, they did not. <laughs> they did not cause Ohio State to throw an interception as they were throwing into the end zone at the end of the game. They did not cause Ohio State to allow Clemson to go 94 yards in like four seconds. 
They didn't do that. <laughs> right. And and that's my problem with uh, any time a game becomes focused on officials, it takes a lot of the responsibility to a certain degree off players. So the players and the coaches are no longer culpable for all of their mistakes in the other hundred and I don't know, 20, 25 plays in that game. It's that one time the officials screwed up. That's the thing that's that, and that just doesn't make any logic. Forget just like what emotional sense. It doesn't make logical sense to me. So that's why I have a hard time with it. Well, because there's no logic in fandom, Ralph. And no, we, we have jobs because people are such big fans that logic goes out the that's window. That's true. I like to remind myself of that. Yeah. I mean, it, there is no logic when you're talking about it. I, I, I'm, I'm laughing as I'm saying this because I, I have a buddy who went to, to the University of Florida with me. And every time Florida plays, I get a barrage of texts from him. <laughs> and now he's one of those trend-negative fans that, that never it can never be satisfied by his own team. <laughs> every single thing was bad in that, in that Florida-Virginia-Orange Bowl, even though they won. <laughs> but that is, that is fandom. You, you can't be rational. Like He was mad, that, uh, to give you an example from the Orange Bowl, there, there was a, a fourth down play near the end of the game where Florida went for it on fourth and one or fourth and two to really to ice the game. And it was a speed option play, and it, it was close and didn't look great. And he's complaining about the call. And I'm like, dude, you do understand. One, it was a great decision to go for it on fourth down. Two, it was the perfect play call. Three, Virginia played it perfectly, and Florida still got the first down. Like you should have nothing to complain about yet. You've complained about every aspect of this thing that that's, that's fandom. They got the first down and he complained about it. I yes. figured they missed it. I didn't even see that play. I, no, but... they, they got it. It was at the end. So it was, a, it was a speed option toss from Kyle Trask to, to LaMichael Piron. But, but that's, that's fandom. You have that, that piece of fandom where nothing your team ever does is good enough, but God forbid, you, who is not a member of my tribe, say something bad about my team because then I'm all over you. Yeah, again, it's just it's just become a thing in life in general. We live in a world where people think the earth is flat, and I'm just kind of tired of the whole thing. So, so why should I be all that surprised well, what's, that there what's are people out the, there with, who think with that— With fandom, though, <laughs> it's, it's you, your opinion of whether the earth is flat or round differs based on how it will help your team. <laughs> That's a good point. Right. Everything revolves around, you know, whether whether it helps or hurts my team. Okay, let me shift. Well, let me do this real quick here. I don't want you to do a deep dive on Clemson LSU, but what's your initial lean? I lean LSU just because I, I I'm trying to recall an offense that looked that unstoppable. They're getting and, to that point, aren't they? Yeah. And look, we've seen them against good defense. It's not a case of they haven't played anybody. You know, we saw them against Auburn, we saw them against Florida, we saw them against Georgia. They have played good defenses, and they have shredded good defenses. Mm-hmm. I, that's the part because you know you could in in other years you'd say, well, they've never seen anything like Clemson's defense. Well, yeah, they have. Yeah, they have, and they've shredded them. So now, I will. I don't know that LSU's defense has had to play. Well, they have. They played Alabama with Tua, and you could say, well, Tua was banged up, but I don't know. I was there in Tuscaloosa. He was throwing it pretty well that day. So. I mean, they've played an offense that is they've not had to play it together. That's that's the only thing you can say. But how often would they even have a chance to? Yeah, because 
if there were another team like that, that team would be in the playoffs too. And the other part of this, too, is what Clemson showed against Ohio State, and we all sort of wrote about, is that I understand that they've been blowing people out all year, but this team has done really well of rising to the moment, of playing big in big games, of being the team that finds a way to win. So if the game is close, like Clemson generally wins that game. Right, and and here's the thing. Ohio State is awesome. Like. You talk about a beautifully constructed roster. Oh, yeah. That is a beautifully constructed roster. That, that is a fantastic team that they beat. So they've, now, they've been tested. I, I do think that this will eliminate the kind of acclimation period that I think you saw with Ohio State, with Clemson against Ohio State, where for the first 10 minutes or so, it, it did look like, wait, whoa. We hadn't seen anything like this except a practice. Mm-hmm. And... Then afterward, when they kind of settled in, made some adjustments, then it became more of a, okay, these two teams are pretty even. Uh, Yeah, I I think my initial lean is LSU, but I may come back around next week and break this down a little more. Here's here's the thing that I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, Dabo Sweeney spends so much time trying to contrive disrespect, a chip on the shoulder or whatever. He doesn't need to do that now. They are underdogs. Vegas has said this. They're playing in New Orleans, so they will essentially be playing a road game. Mm-hmm. And I, I do wonder, you know, this is four national title games in five years for Clemson. That's a lot of trips for those people. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, if, if you're trying to decide money-wise whether you're going to make this one or not, you may sit this one out. And that's another LSU fan in that seat. So this may be a road game for them. I don't think that's a bad thing for Clemson. I think they, they thrive on that. Well, you know, we I don't think I didn't really realize it even in Arizona because it's an enclosed press box which it doesn't necessarily need to be, but it is. So it didn't really hit me until I talked to people after the game, but the folks who were in the bowl outside the press box were like, "Oh yeah, that crowd was at least 60-40 Ohio State if not Very yeah, pro Ohio State. I mean, I, I, somebody I, I somebody that, told yeah. me they felt it was like 70-30, which again makes sense if you think about A Ohio State fans are freaking everywhere there especially in Arizona and they hadn't yeah. been there in a while. So Ohio State, the team that hasn't been there a while, is always going to travel better. While I can see Clemson fans saying, you know what, we've done this a lot. Let's save our money for New Orleans where maybe we can even make the long drive over. So, yeah, that yeah. was al- they've already faced a, basically what was, you know, a, a crowd that was against them in Arizona and did well with that. Yeah, but the thing is now you can fill the entire Superdome with people who don't have to get on a plane. Right. So it, it, it's it, it's going to be interesting. I, I think I think Clemson as underdog, as quote unquote road team, I, I actually think that helps Clemson mm-hmm. in terms of preparation and everything else. Okay, we're going to take a little break. I'm going to come back in. We're going to hit a couple of non-playoff topics to Tagovailoa, Alabama, what those guys are doing. Plus, Dan Mullen said something very interesting after the Gators won the Orange Bowl. We are recording this Tuesday morning. They won the Orange Bowl Monday night. I'm going to get into that with Andy as well. Andy Staples from The Athletic is my guest on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, and we will be back right after this. This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. 
Regions. Member FDIC. We're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo. I'm joined by Andy Staples from The Athletic. So kind to uh, help me roll along here today. It's New Year's Eve. I, do you have big plans by any chance? I have big plans to have neighbors come over and sit around in our pajamas and play board games. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, I actually am. I will be going out tonight, but again, not far to a friend's house and not doing anything all that exciting. Yeah, you're not going out in public. That's the thing that the in public part is. Is it, it's amateur hour on New Year's Eve. It is like going shopping on Christmas Eve. Even nobody it, knows what they're doing. Yeah, even in my prime, when I was just young, stupid, and drunk, I never really loved New Year's Eve. I always preferred something a little more intimate. But it is New Year's Eve, the morning of New Year's Eve, and we're talking college football. And I want to ask you about Alabama, but more likely, well, the, the news yesterday was Dylan Moses, the great linebacker, is going to be back mm-hmm. at Alabama. And I suspect there might be a few more Alabama players, juniors, who could jump to the NFL draft back than maybe we thought, because I think that we, the tendency is to think that most of Alabama's guys will go. But, the, of course, the most interesting one is Tua and what his decision looks like. And listen, ultimately, you can never crawl into a kid's head and figure out what he's thinking, and we will eventually figure out what Tua is thinking. But I don't know how much you have given thought to what Tua might do. So I'm going to ask you, what are some of the options here as you think about what Tua could possibly do? Well, I say this not knowing what will happen. Let's say if he did declare for the draft, what would happen when he went to the physical at the combine? What are they going to find? And I imagine he knows that better than, than we do, obviously. Mm-hmm. He's probably got a pretty good idea. His doctors have probably given him a pretty good idea of what the prognosis is going to be. So if they feel like he's going to make a full recovery and that, that a physical would show that, then I would think he still goes mm-hmm. because there's such a FOMO among NFL teams, a fear of missing out mm-hmm. on that next great quarterback that I still think he'd get picked in the first round and probably pretty high in the first round because, you know, Joe Burrow's going to go number one. Herbert is probably the second quarterback off the board, but I'm not convinced Justin Herbert is going to be a good NFL quarterback. And I'm not convinced anybody else coming out of college is going to be a good NFL quarterback except for Tua. So, uh, but Tua, of course, would have to get healthy again and we don't know because this is such a weird injury we don't know what's going to happen there but my guess is if the if there's a thought that he'd be cleared eventually not because i think if you if you're an nfl team and you take him in this next draft you go into that expecting that he does not play in 2020 right so and and that's the other piece if he comes back to alabama when would he play would he play at all next season Right, so if you're going to sit out next season or you're going to be limited next season, why do it when you're not right. getting paid, right? Because right, then how much more are you going to increase your value if you're not playing until October? Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe a lot, maybe because maybe you're showing people, hey, I'm healthy, right? If, even yeah. if you only play half the season, you've now played a half the season healthy. But I'm with you. I, I still think that he could be the second quarterback off the ball, board in a top five or ten pick because I think there are NFL teams who could look at it and go, 
That's okay. We feel confident you're going to be healthy. We don't necessarily need you to play next year. And you're right. I mean, we can't pass up the opportunity to possibly have our quarterback. Right. And here's the thing. if he, Let's say he fell out of the top ten and fell into the middle of the first round. Mm-hmm. The scary part is he might wind up with a good team Yes, that, that could sit him behind somebody for a year or so and, and have no qualms about giving him ample time to recover. And then he just comes out torching people. So I, I just – I think now the, the the only way I could see where it might make sense to come back for another year is if they, if you know, cause they're changing the CBA. They're, they're, they're mm-hmm. negotiating a new CBA right now. If somehow it changed where instead of a fifth year option for the first round pick, the team option for the fifth year, if that dropped to a fourth year and you could hit free agency one year faster, then it would have essentially make this next year negligible in terms of whether you come out or not because you hit free agency the same year anyway that would be the only thing that would change it for me yeah that's a really good point i played this out as well okay of course worst case scenario is he gets terrible medicals back and there are teams that are literally saying listen we're not sure if you're going to be able to play again okay so that let's let's just take that option and push that aside the more logical or more more likely i should say worst case scenario is what you had said before, which is he drops because the medicals are a little eh, not not feeling great. But at a certain point, once he gets into the teens, the value of the possibility of getting a franchise quarterback in the team. I mean, if you're the Steelers, I don't know what they're, I haven't looked at the draft order, but I know they were around 500 team. But if you're the Steelers and let's say you're, you're you're picking 15th and you could have your next guy for next, for 15 years, you're taking him. Or, I mean, certainly the Patriots and the, and the Packers, right? So that's, this, this, this might be the one thing that makes the Patriots straight up. Right. Or you can even trade up. Right. Because that's the other thing, too. Like it's not nobody's going to wait until 30. Some of those teams that have some capital and some time to and some time. And and, and this is why I I cannot wrap my mind around the idea of him coming back. That's exactly because because every time I, I think about that, I think about exactly this. How many teams would be clamoring to get him at 11? Yeah, you know, yeah, right, right. So, right. So, I think I think it stacks up to that he will most likely leave. But again, I I get the sense in talking to some folks from Alabama a couple of weeks back that like they might have a few more of these kids come back than you know guys like Xavier McKinney. Again, Moses already said he'd come back. Well, the, you know, maybe Judy goes, but maybe yeah. some of the other receivers don't go. Maybe Smith well, stays. Yeah, if you're Devontae Smith, do you want to go out in a loaded class like this? Mm-hmm. Or maybe be one of the best guys in the class? Maybe maybe you want to go where it's just you and Justin Ross. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? I don't know. I think I think that's a legitimate question. Uh, the Dylan Moses thing makes perfect sense because uh, he was a guy who, you know, probably wasn't going to be a first-round pick this year because he's coming off the injury. And he's not a quarterback. He's an inside linebacker. Yeah, uh, he doesn't the, play. Yeah, he doesn't play a super value. Right, position. the value of that position yeah. is less. Although, if you get a good one, a la Roquan Smith, you, you you will draft him high. All he has to do is play like he played as a sophomore, and he'll be back in the first round. So, if you're Dylan Moses, that makes perfect sense. You're going to make more money coming back. I wasn't planning on asking you this, but is Micah Parsons a bigger Roquan Smith? I don't know. Like, That's a good is question. Is he Roquan Smith with maybe 10, 15 more pounds? Because, goodness gracious, he was 
just a monster. He was, he was everywhere in that game. Yeah. That's a great question. I it, and I'm I'm fascinated to see how they use him next year because that you can you can do some stuff with I, a guy like that. Yeah, I still think they've left some of the pass rush stuff on the table with him. Right. I, I, I don't think saying, they've really unleashed be, that. Yeah, the little bit heavier piece of it is where is where you can really move him around like a, a like a chess piece. Okay, so last night after the Orange Bowl, which Florida won, uh, though Virginia played a pretty I didn't see much of it. I was in the par- process of moving around and traveling, but Virginia played them seemingly better than even I thought that they would. They they played them very well. It was a it was a it was a good game. Uh Virginia had a chance to get an onside kick and then have a shot if they got the onside kick, but it it was a, it was a very well played game on both sides. So Dan Mullen said Florida finished eleven and two, and Dan Mullins basically said it, it's harder to go from four wins to eleven than, or excuse me, it's easier to go from four wins to eleven than eleven wins to twelve. And eleven wins to twelve means now you are playing for national championships. Yep. He, that, he's exactly step. right, and it's one of those that I think if if you don't think about it, you wouldn't understand it, but. If you look at how hard it is to take that final step, he's he's exactly right. They are right there, but they played LSU. You know, they lost by two touchdowns. It's probably the 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 game was probably a little closer than the score, but you know, could they, you know, compete with LSU, Clemson, Ohio State right now is currently constituted? Probably not. They'd probably lose most of those. You know, you play those like a ten game series, you probably lose most of them. Mm-hmm. But are they one or two players away on either side of the ball from being in that area? Yeah, they're, they're, they're getting there. So, but that's the trick. Can you sign and or develop those players? And we don't know that yet. You know, Mullen, his history has been finding kind of diamonds in the rough and developing them. And that is fantastic. It's a great skill. Works at any level of football. You know, I think Clemson staff is probably the best at it still even though they can sign five stars. But the thing is, to win national titles, you also need five stars. So can he, can he get those guys? And, and that Because that's how you overcome Georgia in the East. That's how you co- overcome LSU and Alabama in the West. It also speaks to the idea of a little bit of the difficulty or the challenge. How about the challenge of – Beating the teams you're supposed to beat, right? Because that's mm-hmm. that's how these good programs get off yep. track, right? All right. of a sudden, like you're Florida and you're losing to Vandy every once in a while, which should never happen, or Missouri and things along. And and I I bring the I'm going to bring Notre Dame into this conversation too because Notre Dame just finished an 11 and two season. It might not finish in the top ten, which sounds incredible that they could, <laughs> Notre Dame could win 11 games and not finish in the top ten. But what sort of Brian Kelly has has sort of figured out at Notre Dame or has gotten that program to the point where they sort of beat all the pretty good teams and they don't stumble to Navy in the USFs of the world. And Mullen has done that too. And to a certain, sometimes we undervalue. I think that to a certain degree, we undervalue that quality in the coach and coaches. Oh, it's, it, it is, it is one of the most important qualities in a coach. Dabo, prime example. He eliminated Clemsoning. What you've just described is the elimination of Clemsoning, mm-hmm. and and if you don't Clemson, then you become Clemson, <laughs> for, for lack of a better term, uh, and and that's exactly what Mullen's done at Florida. I mean, what what game did they lose since Mullen has been there that 
they weren't supposed to lose. They lost to Missouri at home, but when that happened, those teams looked fairly even. So it wasn't, it was, it didn't seem like a, a huge upset or anything like that. I, I really think he's got them in a position where they are winning every game they're supposed to win. So that's what allows you to be ready to take the next step. Now, whether they can do that is still another question, but they're certainly in position to do it. Yeah, and again, I'll throw I'll throw out Notre Dame too because again, there that's what Kelly sort of eliminated. I, I found it to be an interesting Notre Dame season in the fact that they did sort of fly so far off the radar. I never thought that they were all that good, but again, I think it speaks to where Kelly has that program, mm-hmm. the fact that they let Chip Long walk and now have his has his replacement pretty much set. I mean, clearly one of the reasons why they let Long walk is because they feel very comfortable with with Tommy Reese. The idea that they have he's, he's that, Tom Reese now that he's a coach. Oh, is he Tom now? He's, he's Tommy as a quarterback. Tom as a coach. As he as he transferred over to the Tom. So yeah, to me again, it just speaks volumes to where they have that program to the idea that like now they take care of business. And, you know, even against Iowa State, like I didn't expect them to go out there and really roll that, over Iowa State. That was pretty impressive. I, I think so. And Iowa State was fired up to be there. That wasn't a case where Iowa State was just like, ah, we don't want to play in this game. They wanted to, and Notre Dame just put it on them. And I, I think that was a very it, – it's hard to judge with bowl games, but I feel like we had a pretty good handle on where both those teams were going into the bowl. I, I think that tells you a lot about where Notre Dame is, that they're playing a pretty good team that was fired up about being there, and they thumped them. And it just tells you that's a good, healthy program. You know, they are, they are sustainable. And, I mean, if we'd have said this in 2016, you, you thought we were crazy. So let me throw one more thing at you. I've heard that some of these NFL teams might knock on Brian Kelly's door. I don't know how interested he would be. Certainly, I think he is a guy who would only be interested in certain NFL jobs. I think a lot of the college coaches are getting better at understanding that like, not all NFL jobs are the same, even though they're all in the same league. Yeah, um, don't take the Jets job. Yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I had to throw that in there just for you. <laughs> well, speaking of that, so that brings me to, to uh, a: Have you heard anything about Kelly? And B: But more Matt Rule. Matt Rule is obviously already getting attention. He used to work for the Giants. The Giants are now in the market for a coach. I think it's all speculative at this point. But if I had to say, like, what do you think Rule does? What do you think Rule does? The Giants keeping Dave Gettleman, I think, would give me pause because. Mm-hmm. The Giants were always viewed for a long time as, as one of the premier organizations in the NFL, but a lot of stuff has kind of become calcified there. And I think I would want kind of a clean slate personnel-wise as well and to have some input on personnel. And then this, is, this is the part with every co- good college coach where I would take a serious step back and look at it if I got an NFL offer, is how much influence am I going to have over personnel? Because I'm used to having 100% control. And if I don't know or trust the person who's going to be buying the groceries, <laughs> I don't want the job. Yeah. You know, Matt Rule's making a ton of money at Baylor. Like so, $7 million a year, I think, now? I actually think the Panthers' job might be better for him. Because he may get more control. So that one I might be more interested in. You know, where you're from, all that stuff aside. And I... I actually think Matt Rule is the type that won't worry about anything sentimental. 
the, I think he'd look for the best situation. Yeah, the interesting the thing with the NFL, right? How much uh, say in the personnel are you going to get? How aligned are you going to be with the GM? Uh, is the GM your guy or are you the GM's guy? And uh, do you have a quarterback? Honestly, yeah. I mean, and, and and you know, Daniel Jones played pretty well this year. He certainly looks like a guy who could be, despite all the uh, you know all the criticism of the pick. Yeah, no, they they had a ton of injuries. I don't put their record on Daniel Jones. No, he, he looked like he he could be fine. Yeah, me being here in New York, I, I probably know about the Giants a little more than most NFL teams because it's easier for me to. But you're right. The the problem with the Giants is they have been a franchise that has been in rebuild mode without actually in, in rebuild mode without admitting it mm-hmm. like they yeah. just don't realize that they need to blow it up and like completely tear down their roster they've been terrible for like mm-hmm. five or six years and as a Jets fan I know terrible right? <laughs> well exactly and that, that's the thing it's hard to admit that when one you're a proud franchise and you had fairly recent success but then you've got you know but look at the 49ers they did it and they came out better on the other side it's just this is the way of professional sports at this point. Now, here's the question if you're Matt Rule. Do you want to go to a place that doesn't realize it needs to blow it up? And that's going See, to keep the same GM that, that put yeah. you in this place. And, and that's, that's exactly where I am. And, I, I and, almost and wonder if I your rule. Panthers thing might be a better option. Yeah. Now, I don't know what happens with Cam Newton, but I do know they're going to have Christian McCaffrey. I do know they've been fairly good at building a competitive roster uh, since they fired Dave Gettleman. So right. you know, right. I think, think maybe there's something to that. Yeah. Yeah. I almost wonder if your rule, if you think like, listen, even if I aspire to the Giants job, why don't I just stay here at Baylor where I have a certain amount of sen- sentimentality and my wife is happy and my kids are happy and I'm making a ton of money and I have yeah. a ton of stability here because they locked me up for, what was it, seven years? Well, um, and, and here's the thing. Look how close you were to Oklahoma this year. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma is all you got to worry about. I mean, yeah, Texas may be good or or not, but they're not going to be better than Oklahoma year after year after year. What what you're aiming for is where Oklahoma is. That's reachable. (laughs) That's not you're not dealing with with Clemson. You're dealing with with something, you know, that's pretty good, but. Attainable. But not near that level. Yeah, it's attainable. Um, Do you think Urban ends up in the NFL this year? Boy, I, I. if listen, if Jimmy Haslam wants to write that check, then then maybe. Uh, but I I have my doubts about Urban in the NFL because of what Urban Meyer used to say about Urban in the NFL. <laughs> right, uh, right. He used to say he didn't think he'd be a very good NFL coach. That that what he does is really designed to work in college, and because a lot of it is you know culture, chemistry, all that stuff that that's built in the weight room. Well, you don't build anything in the weight room in the NFL. Everybody's got their own personal trainer. Like, if Urban takes the Browns job, I mean, he could try to hire Mickey Marotti, but Mickey Marotti's not going to be the one training anybody. Right, right. So It's just such a different model. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, obviously there are pieces of what Urban Meyer does in terms of tactical stuff, in terms of roster building, evaluation. Well, some of he's the culture, good, some of the that. culture stuff is transferable. I think some, some of the culture of it, is transferable. You know, a lot of it is a lot of it when you're dealing with a 26 year old guy with, with a wife and two kids, he's going to be a lot more cynical than that 18 year old. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff you say is just going to be like, whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, 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 but I also think that he has been. I, I, you know, I do find he, Urban has good leadership skills. Yes, he does. So I and, could, I, and I think he's smart enough to adapt. And I think I could see or also Urban in a room with guys like Dan Snyder and Jerry Jones and have those guys listen. I don't know if Dan Snyder knows what he's doing, but I could see Dan Snyder looking at Urban Meyer and thinking he knows what he's doing. <laughs> oh, I think we're very clear that Dan Snyder does not know what he's doing. Yeah, it's, and, it's and, very obvious. that, and, that, and that Jimmy just, Haslam doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, and Jerry Jones might. But the question is, would he listen to anybody? That And that's the other thing with the Cowboys job where you'd think they're going to go after Lincoln Riley. Uh, there's been talk about trying to reunite Mullen with Dak Prescott. If I am either of those people or Matt Rule, and I get asked about, and I get asked to interview with the Cowboys. I would have some pointed questions, like, "Are you ever going to listen to me about any player?" Because if you're not, if if someone named Jones is picking everybody, and I'm never going to get any input, I don't want the job. Yeah, I think Lincoln's got a better job, frankly. I, I still think at some point Lincoln maybe will end up in the NFL, but I also think that Lincoln has a better job than most NFL jobs. Well, he also has Barry Switzer in town, who has made the very same move. Right. Going, don't do it, don't do it, don't right. do it. You will regret it, don't do it. <laughs> right. Andy, thank you very much for joining me today. That's the most hot NFL takes we've ever had. That is. That's about as, that's about as deep into the NFL as I will ever get, I think. <laughs> because that's I, about as deep I, I as I can like go. I feel like I've had to learn more about it in the last few years just because it seems like they are so enamored of these college offenses mm-hmm. that I, I feel like they're going to come raid the coaching staffs even more than, than maybe this year. Hey man, Joe Brady. I wonder what, ha- you know, I wonder if a, an NFL team will, will try to lure him away as a, I'm as not an OC. sure they're willing to pay what he's going to get paid at LSU. <laughs> That's the amazing thing. We've gotten to the point now where the colleges are actually paying better in a lot of situations than the NFL teams. And he can't, I, I don't think anybody's ready, and even an NFL team, to make him a head coach. But just remember, somebody made Cliff Kingsbury a head coach after he was fired at Texas Tech. And he was not terrible, although... No, he was not. I will point out, they were good on offense and bad on defense. Where have we seen that movie before? <laughs> right. right. We'll see if that works out in the in the long term there. So, all right. That's a good NFL recap from uh, Andy and I here on New Year's Eve. <laughs> which and, is not what you came for. Which is definitely not what you came for. Andy Staples from The Athletic. Uh, Happy New Year. I will see you in New Orleans where I will we will eat some good food, hopefully, and watch a very interesting championship football game between Clemson and LSU. Can't wait. And now three and out. First down. When I last counted, 11 running backs had already announced that they are entering the NFL draft and leaving college eligibility on the table. The list includes some obvious stars with nothing left to prove, such as Ohio State's J.K. Dobbins and Boston College's A.J. Dillon. Both players ran for more than 1,000 yards in each of their three college seasons. Among the others were Kylan Hill of Mississippi State, Eno Benjamin of Arizona State, Javon Leak of Maryland, DJ Dallas of Miami. That incomplete list of running backs includes a player who was an All-American and a player who never ran for more than 700 yards in any of his three college seasons. That's DJ Dallas. 
some of these guys might not get drafted at all. Then why leave early, you ask? Because staying another year provides little opportunity to build value. That's just the nature of that position now. Running backs don't get drafted at a high rate in general. And they get dinged for being overused in college, so there's just not a lot to be gained by going back to school for another year. That breakout senior season that you're hoping will increase your draft value might only serve to put more tread on your tires and narrow the window of opportunity for you to get to a second contract by the age of, let's say, 26 when NFL teams don't start looking at you skeptically. Second down, little nugget to pass along, college football playoff related. So the sites for the championship games to be played after the 2024 and 2025 seasons have yet to be announced. Those are the final two years of the current 12-year contract the CFP and affiliated bowls have with ESPN. What I gleaned from talking to a few sources is CFP officials are interested in holding one of those two remaining title games at the new Las Vegas stadium that's set to be open next year. It will be the home of the NFL's Raiders. But they have never worked with the Raiders before, they being the CFP. So you never know how a new business relationship is going to go. The thought is, if the champ game goes to Las Vegas, it was more likely to happen in the 2025 season. A, it gives extra time to work out a deal for the two sides to get to know each other. B, the 2022 season champ game is set to be played in the new Los Angeles stadium. And I was told the CFP would like to avoid having two California games in a three-year period. The last game that is set is for the 2023 season. That will be held in Houston. So you can rule out Jerry World in Arlington, Texas for 2024. Uh, The CFP doesn't want to do Texas back-to-back years. Though I do think it would be very tempting for the CFP to go back to the Dallas area. It's a great venue, and the Cotton Bowl folks are reliable partners. So here's my guess. If the CFP gets comfortable enough to work with the Raiders and new organizers in Las Vegas, the 2025 championship game, the last championship game of the contract, will be played there. It's the 2026 game as far as when the actual game would be played, but 2025 season. As for the 2024 championship, I expect it to end up back in the southeast. That makes sense if they want to move this thing around regionally. It will have been a while since the game will have been in the southeast, and that means maybe Tampa or Atlanta. My guess in that situation would be Tampa which turned out to be a great site the first time around. Of course, we're probably two years away from having this all sorted out, but I figured you might be interested anyway. Third down, I want to take some time to mention ESPN's Edward Ashoff, who died at the age of 34 last week after a several months battle with pneumonia. If you're a college football fan, you've probably been seeing the outpouring of adoration for Ed from friends and colleagues. I was probably more colleague than friend, but like so many people in this business, you're always a little bit of each. I've been out to dinner with Ed, goofed around with him in press boxes and on media shuttle rides to big games. 
from my perspective, he was a really good dude, a smart person, a handsome kid, and I can call him a kid because I'm 15 years older than Ed, a great dresser, and an excellent reporter. His death was heartbreaking. The more I speak with people who were closer to him, people who I know well, I can tell his life was inspiring. My thoughts go out to his fiance, Katie. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and at Westwood One Podcast. Please subscribe so you do not miss an episode. As we wind down a year and a decade, though I haven't been doing this for a decade, I think it's been about four or five years I've been doing this show. This has been a grassroots operation that started with me as a one-man band. The AP has thrown support and resources behind this podcast that has made it better and expanded its reach. I am very appreciative of that, and I am appreciative of you for allowing that to happen. You decided to listen. That made people want to support the podcast even more. I like doing it and will continue pumping out episodes through the off-season and maybe look to do some new things here to keep it fresh. Feel free to give me some feedback either on Twitter at Ralph D. Russo AP or you can just email me at rrusso at ap.org. I am Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week. Yes, we will do more next week and have a preview of the championship game between LSU and Clemson on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC.